Thanks for joining us at Rochester Life today. We're gonna be beginning a series titled Christmas Presents. And over the next several weeks, we're gonna be looking at four different aspects of the presence of God shown through the events surrounding Jesus's birth. And pregnancy and birth have always been common occasions for celebrations. But around 2008, those celebrations evolved to include gender reveal celebrations. I'm sure you've seen some of those videos on social media, if not participated in one of those events yourself. So these are typically creative ways to reveal a color that lets the family know the gender of the baby they're expecting. Pink for a girl, blue for a boy. Um, People get creative, they might use vehicles or pets or baked goods or even explosions. Well, here to start things off uh, today, I wanna share just a few of the favorite gender reveals that I've seen. What's that? What's gonna happen? You can spend a good amount of time looking at a subset of gender reveal videos as well, and those are gender reveals gone wrong. And so sometimes they're pretty funny, sometimes they're a little bit sad, but um, uh, I'll let you explore those for yourself. And while my boys were all born before gender reveals were common, I don't mind the tradition at all. I'm all for people celebrating life's blessings. And I remember when I found out that my firstborn uh, was gonna be a boy, I went with Vicky to the ultrasound appointment and we heard the heartbeat, which sound I'll do my best impression here. That's a pretty good impression. Um, we checked on his health and the tech asked if we wanted to know his gender and we both said yes. And we learned that all the girl names, wonderful, beautiful girl names that we'd selected uh, would have to wait. And they're still waiting. And we'll maybe pass those ideas on to others. So here's a picture of Hunter from that day though. The first picture we got of Hunter. While I was digging up that picture, I came across one of my favorite pictures of all three of my boys. And that picture is of the first time the three of them got together. Hunter and Levi were brought to the hospital to meet Randall. And here's what that looked like. Well, today we are going to be looking at two gender reveals in scripture, as well as some family members meeting each other for the first time and how it shows the powerful presence of God. These events are recorded by Luke, who had researched the events and compiled them to provide certainty about what had taken place and was being taught. So in Luke chapter one, verse five, it says, in the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. That means that Elizabeth was from a family of priests as well, because Aaron was a high priest, and his descendants were priests. Priests were required to marry an Israelite, but it was an extra blessing to marry someone from a priestly family. 
goes on to say, and they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. Now, this doesn't mean that they were sinless, but they were faithful in their service to the Lord. Verse seven says, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. We'll see later in verse 25 that Elizabeth experienced judgment in her culture for not having children. Even though scripture makes it clear that Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous and blameless. It's common for cultures to place importance on marriage and parenthood. Both are common human experiences, but they aren't global human experiences. This has caused some single people or people without kids to be thought of or feel like they're living a second-class human experience, and that isn't true. We, the church, should celebrate marriage and children, but we also need to celebrate people who are faithful in their service to the Lord and happen to be single or without children. Whether by choice or circumstances, their life is just as full, valuable, and worthy of celebration as any other. Continuing in verse 8, Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. So again, there were many priests, 24 divisions of priests, and many priests in each division. Now, the Holy of Holies was only entered once a year by one priest, the high priest. The holy place was entered twice a day um, in the morning and then in the evening, and priests would enter, and then all of them would leave except one who would offer the incense. The incense was a special recipe, only that was supposed to be burnt in that holy place to the Lord, and it represents the prayers of God's people. And God had instructed them to always keep the incense going, so they added more twice daily to ensure that the incense was always burning. Being selected to perform this function was a high honor, one that would happen at most once in your lifetime, and perhaps not even that. So this was a lifetime highlight for Zechariah. They cast lots and the honor was his. Zechariah and other priests would enter the holy place, the inner part of the temple, and they would tend to the lamps, and then the other priests would leave and he would offer the incense on the altar. Generally, it wouldn't take much time. Then Zechariah would exit the holy place and he would join the other priests for the rest of the ceremony. But Zechariah had an unusual experience in the holy place. Let's make sure that we have a little more understanding of the setup and the significance of the temple. The heart of the temple was the Holy of Holies, the place that symbolized the dwelling place of the presence of God. Okay, that was called the Holy of Holies. And in the Holy of Holies was the Ark of the Covenant, which contained historical items of the covenants God made with his people. Specifically, in Hebrews 9, 4, it states that the Ark contained the, a gold, the golden pot that had manna and Aaron's rod that budded and the tablets of the covenant. The Holy of Holies was only entered once a year on the Day of Atonement by the high priest. The Holy of Holies was separated from the holy place by a huge veil that went from floor to ceiling. In the holy place, there were three different items, lampstands, table of bread of presence, and the altar of incense. Now, the lampstands, each with seven lamps that were lit each night, the table of the bread of presence was placed, the bread was placed in there once a week, special recipe, special way that it was laid out, consists of 12 loaves 
unleavened bread. They were replaced each Sabbath. And so that bread symbolized the covenant as well. Then there was the altar of incense and incense was placed on the altar morning and evening every day. And the incense represents the prayers of God's people. Now outside the holy place is where the sacrifices were offered. So we've talked about the holy of holies, the holy place, and then outside of that. So knowing that, let's go ahead and continue. Verse 10, and the whole multitude of people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayers have been heard. Zechariah's prayers had been heard, but we aren't told what Zechariah's prayers were. Uh, one may assume that the prayer was for a child, but given Zechariah's reaction to the news uh, that he would have a child, um, and what he said when he was able to speak again, I think that Zechariah's prayer was actually for God's people. The angel of the Lord wasn't just telling Zechariah his prayers had been heard, but that they would be answered in a way that was unbelievable to Zechariah, not what he had, had expected. In verse 13, but the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayers have been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to return the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. The child's name was to be John, which means the Lord is gracious. And it talks about that there was a code of conduct. Um, some say that the angel was saying that John needed to keep a Nazarite vow, but the angel doesn't talk about John not cutting his hair, which was a key part of the Nazarite vow. So it's possible that this was a code of conduct that was set for John that was similar, though not identical to the Nazarite vow, but it talks about that code of conduct. The fact that John was filled with the Holy Spirit prior to birth raises all sorts of interesting questions, which I don't have the answers for. However, what is important is that it makes clear that the Holy Spirit, who equips us to do the work of God effectively, was with John from the beginning. John was chosen for a specific purpose. The language used by the angel would have been clearly understood by the priest Zechariah, um, and the language pointed to prophecy from Malachi, which was a... Um, a prophet who, who had written a book over 400 years prior. And in Malachi 3, 3, 3, it says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. And then later in Malachi 4, chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, it says, Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. So it also related to older prophecies found in the book of Isaiah. In Isaiah 29, 22 through 24, it says, Therefore, thus says the Lord who redeemed Abraham concerning the house of Jacob, Jacob shall no more be ashamed, no more shall his face grow pale. For when he sees his children, the work of my hands in his midst, they will sanctify my name. 
They will sanctify the Holy One of Jacob and will stand in awe of the God of Israel. And those who go astray in spirit will come to understanding, and those who murmur will accept instruction. It was clear to Zechariah that the angel was saying God was going to redeem the nation of Israel, and furthermore, he was going to use his child as a tool for preparation. In the spirit and power of Elijah, John was going to be a prophet, which Israel hadn't had in centuries. And while Zechariah was a man of faith, this was too much for him to comprehend. In a nation thousands of years old, God was going to give this elderly priest a son and use that son to bring about something that God's people had been desiring for many centuries. In verse 18, it continues, And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service had ended, he went to his home. So what a full week of service for Zechariah. Having received the honor of a lifetime and good news for all time, he returns to his home in the country, unable to speak. In verse 24, after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden. We don't know why Elizabeth kept herself hidden. Uh, Perhaps she wasn't feeling well. Perhaps it was to make sure this was going to happen and prevent sharing possible disappointment publicly. Whatever the reason, Elizabeth said in verse 25, thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among my people. It's obvious this was a blessing to Elizabeth, and she had experienced negativity from the culture around her for not having children. Now for the second gender reveal that we're going to look at today. In verse 26, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Lord will come upon you and the power of the most high will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. 
This message delivered by Gabriel to Mary fulfilled prophecy as well. In Isaiah 7, 14 through 13, it says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. As a way of encouraging Mary, Gabriel says, Behold, aka, check this out. God is doing other amazing things to fulfill uh, his plans. Even Elizabeth is having a baby. Going on, we're going to see Mary visit Elizabeth in uh, verse 39. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town uh, in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. There's no record of these two expectant mothers having communicated before this meeting. Mary wouldn't have been obviously pregnant at this point. If this account is recorded chronologically, then Mary spoke, the baby responded, and jumped for joy. Then Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke. The knowledge appears to have been revealed to Elizabeth through the Holy Spirit. Additionally, this is further fulfillment of the message delivered by Gabriel to Zechariah. Jumping down to verse 56. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Verse 57, now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth and she bore a son and her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child and they would have called him Zachariah after his father. But his mother answered, no, he shall be called John. And they said to her, none of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to the father inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors and all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid up in their hearts saying, what then will this child be? for the hand of the Lord was with him. The child promised to Zechariah by the angel of the Lord had arrived. And now let's look at what Zechariah said, which I think points to what his prayer was earlier that God had heard and was answering. In verse 67, and his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied saying, blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare ways, 
to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Notice Zechariah's focus wasn't on the fact that he was previously childless. What was on Zechariah's heart and mind was the fact that people needed God to redeem them. Verse 80 tells us, And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. John was approximately six months older than Jesus, and both men started their public ministries about the same age, 30 years old. Life expectancy in those days was around 30, but that's largely because of infant and child mortality rates that were so high. However, if you survived beyond the age of 10, you could reasonably expect to live for many decades. There's no indication that Jesus and John grew up knowing each other. John was born in the country and lived in the wilderness, and Jesus was born in the city of Bethlehem. His family then fled to Egypt to avoid being killed by Herod and returned to Nazareth after King Herod's death. In fact, this is what the Bible says about when these two men met after they had been born. In John 1, verses 29 through 34, it says, The next day he, being John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself do not know him, but for this purpose I came, baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. So John recognized who Jesus was and what Jesus was sent to do. And likewise, Jesus recognized John's role in the fulfillment of prophecy. And in Mark 9, 12 through 13, we see Jesus say, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you that Elijah has come and they did to him whatever they pleased as it is written of him. So we've looked at two biblical gender reveals. We saw what happened when John and Jesus met before they were born. We looked at when they met again more than 30 years after they were born. I want to show you a few pictures um, before we finish. I want to show you a few pictures as we finish our time together today. This picture was shared all over the internet several years ago. The picture had a simple question with it. What color is the dress? Uh, some people see white and gold and others see blue and black. What do you see? Do you see white and gold? Or do you see blue and black? Um, when I was looking at this again this week, at first I saw white and gold and, and that's all I could see. Uh, then I closed my hands over the image and just looked at part of the dress and then I could see that it was blue and black and now I can't see white and gold at all. But I want to show you now a few other optical illusions. Which table is longer? 
the left table looks longer when in reality both tables are the same length. Now, I can prove to myself that they are the same length, but the vertical table still seems longer to me. How about this one? What color is the center square on the left side of the cube? Orange, right? Now, what color is the center square on the top of the cube? Brown, right? Well, when we look at just those squares, we see that they're both the same color, light brown. But even knowing that, when we look back at the picture again, they still seem different. Here are a couple other versions. These dogs don't look the same color at all but they are. But now even knowing that, we look at them again with the background, they still don't look alike. On this checkered board with a cylinder, the square labeled A is the same color as the square labeled B. And even though I know it, it sure doesn't look like it. As I was studying for this talk, I was thinking about how looking at what God did in people's lives as recorded in scripture, that it can sometimes seem so far removed from our experiences. From our perspective, the people in the Bible, life circumstances, the culture, the way of life, it all seems so different that we can't see how it applies to us. However, even though many details have changed, people are still fundamentally the same today as they were in Jesus's day and before. Furthermore, scripture teaches that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And since scripture is primarily an account of God's relationship with people and is meant to provide us with all we need for life and godliness, it is all relevant to us today, even if at times we don't see it. Spiritually, as well as physically, we all have limits to our perception, but our spiritual perception can improve. That's why we should ask the Holy Spirit to illuminate scripture, to help us understand it and apply it to our lives. That's why we talk about biblical things to learn from and share with one another. So we need to make sure we don't rely on our perception alone. We need to learn to walk by faith and not by sight. We need to trust scripture over our perception. That is the faith journey we are called to and it is a journey God is with us on every step of the way. If you are a follower of Christ, God's powerful presence in Zechariah and Elizabeth's life is the same as God's powerful presence in our lives. We should be faithful in our service to God, regardless of disappointments and cultural pressure. God's powerful presence in Mary's life is the same as God's powerful presence in our life. We should be faithful in our service to God, recognizing we have found favor with God in that we are given the privilege of having his Holy Spirit reside in us. God's powerful presence in John's life is the same as God's powerful presence in our life. We should be faithful in our service to God, acknowledging that the Holy Spirit, God's powerful presence, is with us at all times, and that we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God's powerful presence in Jesus' life is the same as God's powerful presence in our life. 
We should be faithful in our service to God, admitting that Jesus became like us so he could take our place, believing that the work Jesus did on the cross was enough, and confessing we have chosen him as our forgiver and leader. May our faithful service to God confirm our belief and confession. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for the opportunity to speak with my brothers and sisters today, Lord God. I pray that your word would be an encouragement to them. I pray that they would recognize that your presence is powerful in their life, Lord God, even if we don't spiritually perceive it that way all of the time. We thank you that we can count on you. We thank you that regardless of if there seems like there's periods of silence, like there were those 400 years of silence between uh, Malachi and whenever Jesus was born, that you are still faithful even in the silent moments and that you are accomplishing your good work that you have had planned since before the foundations of the world. Lord God, may we be faithful in our service to you. We thank you so much in Jesus' name, amen. I pray that during this Christmas season, you're taking some time out of the busyness to spend some time reflecting on the scripture and all the promises that have been fulfilled through the birth of Jesus and the life that followed and how faithful God is. May you enjoy the love, joy, peace, and hope that characterize 